So what's going on today, Brian? Today we got a episode. It's just uh, you and me. <laughs> no guest today. Well, you know, um, we don't always have to have a guest. We bring plenty of brain power to these topics. Yeah, of course. At least, at least you do. Um, with oh. me, it's debatable. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I'm, I'm counting uh, on you, my friend. But uh, we went through a wide ranging of topics, um, and and you know, the listeners today can kind of, you know, listen to us. We kind of started with what's IT's role in the business units today. Um, that that was a good one. We talked about, you know, relationship building up and down your uh, chain of command. Good stuff. What, what what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I think we talked a lot about listening, listening and dialogue, right? Those are two facets of communication that are critical. Uh, they're really foundational to leadership roles, whether or not you're sitting uh, in a technology uh, leadership role or elsewhere in the business. It's really, you know, those are the critical components of communication, effective communication, uh, so that you can ensure you're putting the right solutions in place to solve both the challenges uh, that your organization faces as well as fulfilling, uh, leading the organization towards those strategic imperatives. Awesome. And with that, uh, go ahead and enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. So uh, today, Brian, it's just me and you. We, we don't have a guest. Um, so hopefully uh, our viewers or listeners aren't crushed uh, just hearing our voices. But um, I feel so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Promise next time we'll have somebody. Next time we'll have somebody. Um, but, but I have a good topic for you, you know, and it's kind of something we, we've talked about a lot recently in the past and how IT's role has changed. Um, and, and I was curious what your thoughts are on that, you know, in the past, we were kind of more the break fix guys, right? The cost center um, reported to finance. Everything was a black hole. They give us money and got no return on value back on investment back on it. Um, what do you see IT's role as today compared to what it was in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's near and dear to me. Uh, I have, you know, been an advocate of uh, the Mark Schwartz book, A Seat at the Table. And I think that phrase is almost, you know, disingenuous in terms of what's being asked uh, of IT in, you know, today's modern corporate uh, atmosphere. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this before as well. If today's corporate environment were the court of King Arthur, I think IT plays the role of Merlin uh, in that, you know, we're seen as the wizards who can solve any challenge. It's not just the technical challenges anymore. It's the compliance. It's, you know, what is out there uh, from a legal perspective, you know, go ask the IT director. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, how we know GDPR we very well. We, we're, we're legal um, advocates. We, you know, we went to law school. We can understand all that, right? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I, you know, I see IT as having merged into the most critical collaborative role within the organization. All the functional divisions tend to have a strategy that leads into some form of technological need. And, uh, you know, we've, we've often said that, you know, 
every company is a data company and a technology company, whether or not they know that, right? They just happen to have some other practice that is part of their service offering and delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you then step into uh, harnessing some of those things that for you know modern technology leaders, we tend to be challenged with? Um, you know, early on, you and I talked about how everything that is related to what we would consider modern day communications tends to land in the lap of uh, the technology camp today. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I'm okay with that because I came up through, you know, technology from the communications side. So, um, you know, long-term CRM guy, I feel like I've got a great command of that sort of thing. But that's not necessarily the comfort zone of most technology leaders. Uh, we've got a lot of folks who have ascended through having very strong backgrounds as engineers, as, you know, people who have built very successful fault-tolerant uh, environments, you know, and that's a completely different skill set than being able to sit down across from all the other C-level members of an organization and say, hey, let's talk about what this business looks like in the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the technology roadmap to get there? So long-winded answer to your starting question there, Nick. Um, but I think IT looks, you know, or, or technology leadership uh, looks more and more uh, like a member of the business than a member of IT. Yeah, no, and I'll, I'll agree with you 100%. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're part of the business now instead of being the, the black hole cost center where we're buying servers and spinning them up in Equinix data centers. And people are like, we don't even know what those words mean, <laughs> but they cost a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah. I so, so as we look here and, you know, someone comes up through the ranks and maybe they're an engineer, right? They don't have the soft skills. Um, I, I think for a lot of people, that engineering talent mindset is actually good for coming into business roles. They have that mentality where they like to ask questions out of curiosity. It's not that you're accusing somebody of something that they're saying is wrong. They just want to know why right? Because they're trying to understand what they're trying to do. It's like, okay, well, we're trying to implement this CRM system. Okay, well, why do we want a CRM system? Well, we're trying to track our customers. Okay, well, why are we trying to track our customers? Well, because we're trying to find out what they're actually buying. You're like, oh, okay, there's the answer, right? And that's where the engineering mindset comes in good. But I mean, sometimes when people are very um, intelligent and bright, Um, And maybe behind the scenes workers, they just don't have the tact right there initially going into those business dealings, right? You know, you're sitting down, it's maybe you, an engineer, a business analyst, and um, somebody from a line of business, let's like, let's say marketing. Um, And you start asking those questions and they come off as, you know... um, you're accusing somebody of something because we, we get very used to an IT and I don't know, I know you coded before Brian cold fusion and I've done some Python and and stuff in the past and we, we're used to peer reviews, right? <laughs> and asking those questions, looking at those lines of code and you're asking questions of why did you do this or why are you doing it this way? Not that we're accusing anybody of doing something incorrect. We're just all trying to understand the process behind, behind your method. And I feel like those types of skill sets are what are good to help people you know, to bring them up to that level. Um, also with some additional training as well. 
Yeah, I like your approach on uh, really connecting that to, you know, sort of the development um, mentality, because to me, I, I have some, you know, distinction between what I consider to be more of an engineering type and what I think of as more of a developer type. Uh, one tends to be more binary and a lot of uh, how they see the world. One is a lot more creative and a lot more comfortable with gray area. Uh, part of my own you know, career experience, I have found that the strongest leaders are those who are able to deal with that gray area, mm -hmm. right? You're able to take uh, a, a plurality of opinions, a, you know, plurality of um, ideas about how to solve any one issue and sort of cherry pick from that and come up with the best uh, approach where you're able to bake that in, right? And as developers, I think, um, that's part of what you're challenged with. You can go out and you can review code online. You can see, uh, you know, the actual, you can crack open the code in a module from a code snippet that some other developer has written, and you can see the way that they're solving a particular issue. That might not be your way, but it can help influence seeing that there are some alternate paths that you can take. Um, part of the challenge that I've run into with folks who have risen through the ranks more on the engineering side is they, uh, you know, part of what you were talking about, the accusatory nature or the perception of the accusatory nature of asking questions, that often tends to be very abrasive to those who, you know, I've worked with who are engineers mm -hmm. because they're very cut and dry. You know, it's this way or that way. And there's not really any gray area. There's not any room, you know, for flexibility in between. And so that can create some communication challenges when you're dealing with folks who are just pure business, uh, pure non-tech, and uh, might not see the world in that same kind of way. So I think having the emotional intelligence and the starting point for that comes with self-awareness, right? To be able to identify where might my own um, preconceived set of biases or expertise get in the way of how I can actually contribute to be one of those prized leaders who does in fact have a seat at the table. And it, it doesn't usually come from acting offended that you're being asked questions and shutting other people down when they don't have a simple on-off kind of, <laughs> you know, recommendation themselves. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'll, I'd also add to that too. I, th I think what helped me a lot when when I was transitioning, you know, from being more of the hands-on guy to being more of a leader is when people are talking, just stop and listen, right? We, we have an instance, you know, especially of us, you know, with tech backgrounds or engineering backgrounds or coding backgrounds to want to give the answer right away. When we should really just be stopping and listening, stop and think for a second about what you're going to say before you say it and decide if you actually need to say it, right? <laughs> um, I, I always like to do this thing, you know, we've talked about this before in Extreme Ownership and Jocko Willink. Um, he has a saying where he likes to detach himself from a situation, right? He says, okay, I'm going to step back from this. And if I were on the outside looking at, in, at this, what is actually happening here or what should I be doing? You know, to take your own intelligence out of that, right? To take your own um, emotions out of it. It's just like what we're talking about, the self-awareness. It's another way to put it without being, you know, you know, 
mushy and soft, right? (laughs) Which is what stops some people from exploring these topics, right? Because they're very academic terms. Um, You know, you look at this, you're like, ah, emotional intelligence, diversity. It's like, what am I going to school for? HR management. Like, I didn't, I'm not going to go do any of this. Like, if I wanted to do that, I would join, you know, the Society for Human Resource Management if I wanted to do that. But as leaders, you know, we kind of owe it to ourselves to help us grow, we try to grow ourselves to help them so that we can reach out and help others grow, right? And then you had that great quote, quote you were talking about um, when we were talking to Peter Lynch about that was on your monitor, right? I don't remember 100% what, what oh. the quote was, but it, it was really good. Shape it in your mind and you can make it possible in your life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's great things right there, man. Well, you know, it, it may sound like a, you know, a fortune cookie kind of <laughs> statement, but, um, you know, I really do believe that that mindset is critical. And some of the, you know, buzz terminology that I find annoying, and you just sort of touched on it, uh, you know, active listenership. Um, isn't it just listening? But, you know. <laughs> I know. That, that one's always perplexed me. I'm like, I'm actively listening. So I'm supposed to be active. I'm supposed to be listening, but I need to be actively doing something. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's almost like we're we're so uh, caught up in a myriad of distractions in this mm-hmm. multitasking multitasking kind of world uh, that the perception is. Oh yeah, well if we call it active listenership, then that that sort of distinguishes it as you know it's this activity that we're engaged in where we're giving it our full focus. And if you're not already doing that as a leader, you know, I don't care where you sit in an organization, that is a critical thing. Hearing the stories of what people are telling you, and sometimes people don't know how to articulate exactly what the problem is. You walked us through an example before where you have to go through sometimes three, five, seven whys, however deep you need to go to continue to probe things before you actually get to that level where you have a fundamental understanding, you know, okay, this is the actual challenge that's being posited here. This is what needs to be solved. Um, Everything else is just hearing out the stories and trying to elicit details through further questions. Uh, You know, you and I have talked a lot about the criticality of that diagnostic mindset. Mm -hmm. Again, to me, that's a, that's a practice area that has been more on the developer side of technology necessarily than on the, uh, you know, engineering infrastructure, you know, uh, sort of side of um, what we consider to be technology. Yeah, no, I think when we we're, we're talking about that, right? Um, somehow, you know, technology went from being a science, right? It was computer science. And a lot of us followed, you know, the scientific method for processes. And somehow I feel like we've gotten away from our curiosity of the world, right? Things are just binary now. It's yes or no, this can be done or this can't be done instead of just being curious about something, right? I feel like we've lost that curiosity. Um, And some of that's maybe, you know, being in the corporate world kind of drives it. You know, your curiosity has to go certain directions instead of going wandering around the world and just trying to figure something out. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I, I feel like, you know, we, we've kind of lost the scientific part about that, the questioning, the trying to understand the why behind things. Um, you know, that can help be fun for someone to be in an IT role and be put on 
a marketing product, marketing automation project. Um, don't stop and look at it like, oh, how's marketing going to convert sales? I'm thinking about like, what cool technology can I implement that can help them do their job instead of, you know, thinking about it from the marketing perspective? You know, I think about it in terms of uh, really helping to be part of a culture of honest inquiry, mm-hmm. right? So uh, bringing a technologist into a conversation where you may not necessarily have a specific technological need that's been identified, but you might also know uh, that, you know, there's some challenge to a problem you're trying to solve that at some stage may involve some sort of technology. Having someone who is in a technologist role who can help uh, work through those questions in a strategic dialogue, that ultimately can help you actually get to identifying, okay, this feels like uh, a technology challenge because everything that we're talking about, you know, let's say it has to do with CRM. Um, it, it might not actually have anything to do with the tool itself. It could actually have to do with the mismanagement around your sales team, right? If, if they lack a rule, a set of rules of engagement, uh, or if they lack uh, accountability standards for how they're interacting in the system or inputting data or completeness of data, none of those things are actually technology issues. Although sometimes it can be misinterpreted that way because there's a technology at the center of the problem. So, you know, where I came up through my own academic background, as well as my own, you know, professional experience, my work with technology originated from using technology to do something creative. And by the time I was going through my own master's work, I was in an interdisciplinary program that looked a lot more like what Marshall McLuhan had written about in his book, Understanding Media, than Mm -hmm. it did uh, you know, about uh, engineering concepts, you know, that might have been authored by someone like Andy Grove. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, I think about that quote from Steve Jobs, you know, I'm paraphrasing uh, that, uh, you know, the modern uh, technologist is someone who's at that intersection point of liberal arts and technology, right? It's bringing together those different perspectives to kind of round out that plurality of, uh, of viewpoints. If you as a leader in a technology role can help elicit that from other senior leaders within your organization, uh, I think that you've got a real area of differentiation for yourself uh, as an organizational leader. Uh, and that's powerful, you know, because then you really are Merlin, Right, you're, you're coming to with any challenge uh, that's been brought forward by the entire organization. No, and I, you brought up a good point. Um, you know, we're talking about CRM, and you know, I had a conversation before. You know, the, the big thing people talk about: we need a CRM, right? We need Salesforce, right? Because you know, company XYZ has Salesforce, and sales have shot through the roof. Um, I think a lot of times what gets lost with these technology tools is that they're tools, right? That help you do the work. And this is just what you were discussing, discussing, um, you know, you don't go buy a hammer, set it down on the ground and go, well, you know, that thing didn't nail any nails into the wall for me. The thing's broken. <laughs> you know, I bought the best one they had. Why isn't, why don't we have the, you know, the straightest nails in the wall? Put it on the floor. It doesn't do anything. Well, there's a lot of lifting and everything that has to go in between there to make that actually be a tool. Um, and and just as leaders, sometimes we don't do the greatest job 
stressing, you know, that this thing is a tool, you know, that it's still going to take a big chunk of the business unit's time to help figure out what our business processes, write technical documentation, all that stuff that sucks <laughs> that nobody likes to do, but those are the things that make technology projects successful. Um, so I just want to kind of ask you one other question. What, what do you feel like is a big myth about IT these days when you work with your other leaders, right? Um, you know, in the past, we used to be seen as a black hole, right? We give IT a million dollar budget and we don't know what we spend it on. There's computers here, but they suck. They're not as nice as my MacBook. <laughs> um, you know, what it is now, it's kind of like we're almost like a black box because we're everywhere, right? We're with the marketing team and we're with the HR team, maybe implementing a learning management system. We're with, you know, the traditional IT roles, helping them, you know, implement a ticketing system. And maybe we're with the sales team, you know, doing a customer portal. Um what do you think is one of those myths that kind of goes around about IT executives, um, you know, that, that that's just not true in your own opinion? Honestly, I think you've kind of answered it in the way that you asked the question, because to me, the, uh, you know, the thing that I probably still hear most often, and this is after, you know, decades of doing this kind of work, is we don't know what IT is doing. <laughs> and having a variety of forums to be able to provide that feedback, whether it's a CIO dashboard, whether it's a shared project management system, whether it's, uh, you know, a page for your department on your intranet, whether it's a membership uh, at the executive committee level of your organization, um, the myriad of updates that are sent out via email or corporate newsletters, you know, I mean, there's just... <laughs> all these different penetration points in which IT is called upon to quote unquote report out what's keeping you guys so busy. Why do you cost so much? Why do you actually need more people? And, you know, to kind of flip that uh, part of, uh, you know, what I've tried to work on organizationally in, in building, you know, more of that alliance around what the technology demands are for a company is to have that seat of the table created for everyone who's also uh, a functional lead within the operational divisions of your organization and have a joint session between, you know, what is technology and what is operations using those terms and broad strokes, but being able to bring everyone to a single table and it shouldn't necessarily be technology that's reporting out and that's the meeting. It needs to be all of those functional areas uh, bringing forward uh, ideas or concerns about challenges uh, that they are facing, um, things that competitors are doing that, you know, has them keeping up at night, um, you know, so that you can actually start a discussion and develop some strategy out of, you know, the, the details that rise up through that. I heard you mention, you know, we need Salesforce. Well, why do we need that? Well, because, it's the Cadillac product. Everyone who's like killing it with sales, that's what they have. And again, the question ends up being, well, why? What is it that's making the difference, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's again, you know, having that conversation. It's not, let's just rush out and buy a product. Um, we need to, you know, bring IT in because we've decided this is what we're going to do. And now, you know, we need to do a systems evaluation bake off between three vendors. The conversation needs to start earlier than that. It needs to start around what are some of the challenges. 
And once that happens, then, you know, we in the technology leadership role can also uh, go back and say, hey, this needs to be part of your own stewardship report back to the organization. You, operational functional leader, need to help um, identify where your technology partners have come in and helped on some of these initiatives so that there starts to be more of an understanding, you know, that, uh, you know, there's value that's seen from across the organization. It's not just IT leadership coming back and saying, oh, no, we're killing it. We crushed it this year. And here's all the areas that we help. You know, here's our project list. When it comes, when that information comes back from the business, in my experience, it starts to diminish that mythical question. We don't really know what IT is doing, but you sure cost a lot. <laughs> and I think the key thing of what you basically said there is communication, right? Absolutely. Forwards and backwards and all around. Um, <laughs> and I feel like most most departments in any you know firm or or company deal with communication all the way around, um, whether it's the executive level or the lower level. Um, you know, it, it can bring us back to leadership, right? Um, you know, if we don't know as IT what what the um, the intent of the organization is, what the main goal, mission, vision of the organization is, it's very hard for us to make those technology decisions, right? <laughs> I've, I've yeah. seen it before. You know, we, we'll, we'll talk about the CRM example, right? We need a CRM so that we can talk to our customers. Okay, well, you know, what what's our mission? You know, like at least with, let's take, for example, like Zappos, right? Their whole thing is they are a customer service company who just happens to sell shoes, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an easy thing for us to solve. We know what the mission is, customer service always. So when we're as IT, they tell us they need a CRM system. We're like, okay, as long as we nail everything on the customer side, all the customer interactions are 100% polished. If things suck for the back end initially on the staff side, Everybody in the whole company knows that our focus is on the customer. We are a customer service company, and and it's understood that you know we're not going to leave everything a hot mess, uh, you know, on the backside for the employees. But the, our main goal, our number one goal, going out to that should be you know taking care of our customers. So I think a lot of us um, in IT sometimes struggle with maybe not having. Um, a great vision from the company or a great mission, which kind of makes our jobs more difficult sometimes. I don't know what your experience is with that. I mean, I, I know at every point somebody's dealt with kind of being in a murky area um, from leadership from above um, about, you know, what the goal is, what we're trying to do here. <laughs> well, the the sales topic seems to be one that keeps coming up. So I'll just stick with that as a, as a motif to explore. So where you said communication, I might insert the term dialogue, right? Because to me, that's a, um, that's a critical component. It's got to be the exchange of ideas and it has to be a back and forth. Dialogue can include a lot of questioning. Um, it can include disclosing a lot of information. It can include, you know, exploring a lot of variables and options. Um, if, if, you don't feel like you're on equal ground to be engaged in dialogue. That to me is the first critical obstacle. Mm -hmm. And that appears at times because IT has had a very custodial uh, perception in terms of how it operates. I mean, this is, you touched on it at the beginning of the program. This is part of why traditionally uh, a lot of IT is reported up through the CFO. 
right? It's not because the CFO necessarily knows anything about technology or can help steer the vision for technology. It's because technology has been a cost center and it needs to be managed and it needs to be controlled and there needs to be procurement oversight and all of these things, which are still valid. Um, but that's not the overall thrust of what it can deliver in terms of value coming back to the organization. Um, part of you know my contention for a while, and I see this reflected in a lot of other uh, opinions coming from thought leaders, you know, across technology leadership, having uh, that seat at the table directly with the CEO, reporting directly to whoever the visionary is who's helping to lead some of these things, that tends to be uh, what creates that greatest harmony between, you know, what are the strategic imperatives and what can technology help deliver. So back to the sales example, right? Um, this is an area where, you know, having spent, you know, better part of two decades working on CRM systems myself and feeling like I've got a good command of uh, a variety of sales methodologies and processes, uh, you know, when I get the question about we've got to go out and pursue purchasing a Cadillac product, my first set of questions have to do with, hey, that's great. There are a lot of products out there. Not a single one of them is going to be a silver bullet. But let's start to have a dialogue around what are your needs. And when I threw, uh, you know, and last time I went through this kind of process, when I threw the phrase out, let's have a dialogue around what the sales strategy is. It's like it sent alarm bells off through our sales leadership council because no one uh, necessarily um, put those two pieces together, right? Sales and strategy. Well, the strategy is simple. We need to sell more. We need to retain retain the clients we've sold to. You mean you're in business to make money? What? (laughs) (laughs) So, but that, you know, I mean, ultimately that's, to me, I I end up having to uh, drive, you know, some of my intent through asking specific questions. And so a question, if my intent is to get to what are the strategic imperatives, then my questions end up having to conform to that, right? So there are things like, if you could wave a magic wand, uh, what are the key obstacles that you would remove from what your sales process is today? Or what makes a sale look successful uh, for how you envision the process goes for both our company and for the client? Uh, Or how much time ultimately needs to be spent on gathering data versus uh, direct consultative interaction, you know, with, with your prospect. All of those types of framing of questions, they may actually have some underlying uh, technological solution to them, but they're really trying to elicit through dialogue an understanding of what the strategic imperatives are. Once you have a handle on the strategic imperatives, that's your North Star. And it's easy to work backwards from there to start to determine, you know, what are the various products that can fulfill that? You know, what are the feature sets that are absolutely, uh, you know, baseline requirements for you? And then what does a timeline and a budget look like to be able to achieve those things? Good stuff. I'll ask you one more more question here too. (laughs) What do you think the biggest thing, you know, current IT leaders are lacking? 
you know, is it a skill? Is it soft skills? Is it more technology-based driven skills? What, what do you feel like? What is the one big um, skill set that most IT leaders are missing when, when you're talking with them? I think that's dependent on what type of technology leader you are as a starting point. And what I mean by that is today we've seen a lot more of what I would qualify as strategic technology leaders. And what that means is they are someone who have been successful in some facet or domain in their career that is not necessarily technology related. In fact, typically these are business people who don't actually have any technology experience whatsoever. Or if they do, it's as a consumer of technology or someone who's led a key uh, enterprise-wide initiative. Um, but they themselves, they don't hold any sort of technical certification. They don't have any kind of degree work uh, in computer science or any work really in their career experience uh, related to uh, a technology practice area. That set of cha- challenges to me is different than you know someone who has risen up through the ranks of technology. So in that first instance, um, I think a lot of what can turn into a constraint is ultimately you're really beholden to having uh, a cadre of trusted advisors who are providing you with the right information. And if you're not certain about that, then to my mind, the best way to validate that is a couple of different ways. One, using the five whys approach that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. Every time there's a, here's the challenge. What are some of our options? Well, it's going to be this. Okay. And let's talk about that. Why, why is that the case? Well, because of items A, B, and C. Okay. Why, what is it about this that fulfills those things? Using that mentality where you're drilling down and you can even characterize it as I am seeking to understand, (laughs) right? I'm not trying to question your expertise or authority in that area, um, but I'm truly seeking to understand. Um, so that's, that's one component. A second component is making sure that you've got a strong network of peer advisors around you. And one of the things that I loved that Peter Lynch uh, on one of our prior programs had talked about is the idea of having someone who's a generation above and a generation below, right? So that then you've got these different perspectives that can feed where you're at in your career uh, from someone who may be more seasoned than you and someone who, you know, they're closer to, you know, what's hot and fresh and, you know, the latest and greatest um, so that you can start to really pull those things in and try to create more of a holistic, um, you know, quilt work of, uh, of, of putting the pieces together. On the, on the technology side, you know, where you've got someone who's risen up through the ranks of technology, a lot of the challenge areas that I've seen for those types of leaders, where I've seen them be least successful, is uh, number one, what we've already touched on, a lack of inquisitiveness, right? It's a very binary, uh, it's either this or that. Um, you know, if we don't do this, we won't have fault tolerance, therefore it's a failure. Or if we don't have, you know, products that uh, are five years from end of life, I refuse to support it because <laughs> there's, you know, too many um, unforeseen uh, variables that get introduced to the stability of those things, right? So that inflexibility, that inability to understand 
you know, hey, the the business needs some capabilities here, but it needs to also have enough flex so that it accommodates some of the gray area. You know, that is a real leadership characteristic to me is being able to navigate through um, what is a little less certain. Um, but, you know, it's uh, nothing has to be perfect necessarily, right? It has to be good enough. And that's that mm-hmm. iterative mentality, right? Um, let's make sure that it's good enough, it's solid, it's secure, you know, all of those things that it functionally needs to be capable of doing until we can get to that next phase. And technology moves so fast today that that next phase may be coming very quickly right around the corner. It could be. It, you could be a month from deploying it, and little do you know you're you're deploying a outdated thing. Yep, that's <laughs> I've absolutely seen it true. happened before. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely Deploy a product, true. And, and then the company announces that it'll be end of life in like two years. Like, oh, we just deployed that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> we need to start planning all over again. <laughs> so here, I've got a question for you, Nick. I know that you're a book guy and you always like to ask our guests uh, what books have been influential for them on the set of topics that we've talked about today. What are some of the titles that kind of rise to the surface for you that that are really critical? I mean, for me, um, when I look at this, you know, like leading teams and leading people, um, a big one on my list is always that Creativity Inc. by John Lasseter. You know, one of the founders of of Pixar. Um, really, he was the founder of like one of the Lucas Animation even before that. You know, before um, you know, uh, George Lucas sold it off and Steve Jobs bought it. Um, and he just goes through this really great method of how he developed a creative team. And it's just really good leadership advice, just in general. And one of the things they they talk about in that book is. Um, they're peer reviews for the stories, basically. Everybody sits in the room, a bunch of staff, you know, whether, um, you know, you're the janitor or you're here, this, they just want feedback on the story. They're like, is it believable that this character would do this? And they're giving feedback to the director, but it's not feedback that the director has to take, right? It's just feedback in general where they can get um, criticism or information based off of what they're doing to see if, um, you know, they're going down the right path. doesn't mean you have to take that advice. And one of his things with that was, you know, like you need to be able to foster, um, you know, a culture of trust where people trust each other that you can do stuff like that, where they know that, hey, I'm not accusing you that something's bad here. I'm just asking a question. Why? Um, is this believable? Do you feel that? that That's always a big one for me. Um, and then the other one I'll, I'll add, um, you know, being a military history buff guy for me um, is going to be that extreme ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's because it, it, not anything that they say in there is nothing new, right? Um, what I like about that is it, it draws back and it takes, you know, um, a war-based experience, military-based experience, then applies it to business um, when they give you the definition of a role. Um, and it's pretty short, sweet, easy to understand, not heavily academic, um, with great principles like that commander's intent, right? (laughs) Um, we need to know the mission of the organization so that, you know, I don't have to ask you, Brian, every five minutes, what I should be doing. (laughs) If I know the mission (laughs) of what we're trying to accomplish, I know generally how to get there, right? With some type of, um, you know, um, autonomy that that's always a big one for me. And then I would also add, um, 
you know, a, a big one for me too has been um, a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which is just oh. a really good book based. Um, so he was an FBI hostage negotiator, I think like 20 years, I think. And, um, you know, he goes through this whole thing about how they analyze and profile somebody when they're speaking to them. It's like, hey, you know, first when you're talking to somebody, you'll deal with somebody with this type of personality. You need to think about doing this. It's not about manipulating somebody. It's about how do you deal with that interaction when you have this type of personality. Um, and before he even got into hostage negotiating, he wanted to do it. And basically, the FBI is like, well, you need to go get some experience. Go volunteer at a suicide hotline for two years and then come back oh, and wow. talk to us. Um, and he went out and did that and just goes through his whole experience. And a lot of it's about negotiating prices and deals, but um, it's really good just in general about how to deal with human interactions. And, you know, how do you deal with the person that, like we were just talking about who's highly analytical, who needs information for everything. It's like, hey, when somebody's highly analytical, you need to stop for a minute. They need to think about what you just said. They might write and might be quiet, but you need to allow them the minute to think instead of just assuming right there that they don't think you're wrong. They, they just need the second to compile their data, their information. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a really great book. What about you, Brian? What books uh, come to uh, mind for you? Hopefully I haven't mentioned this one before. I'll, I'll add to the mix. Uh, Andy Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive. Yeah, it's classic. Yep. <laughs> one of the management books that I, I think just still stands up there as, you know, just chock full of fantastic wisdom. And the, the title is, you know, it, it fits the story that Andy Grove talks about with his company, Intel, um, where you really have to be, you know, constantly looking over your shoulder for what's coming next, what are the business impacts, um, you know, what are those crisis points that, you know, can really send your company quickly into a tailspin. But for me, the underlying message that we've been talking about in today's program is really about that dialogue. Right. It's about surfacing information. It's about asking the right questions. It's about listening, um, having all of those details at your command. It doesn't matter whether you're in a C-level position or in a junior level, um, you know, technology leadership role. It's having that kind of mindset where you recognize if we don't get all the information on the table and we're able to have a dialogue around it so that we can identify what are the real priorities here? What are the real challenges that need to be solved? Pretty soon you can have havoc on your hands. And, and it's not pretty because if you're, you know, getting close to the end of an enterprise implementation, that's cost you, you know, high six figures and things aren't going the way that they need to, that's going to be, you know, the kind of thing where someone's going to come asking for heads to roll. So getting all that stuff open and out on the table early on, um, you know, being paranoid about it is maybe not the way that I would characterize it. It's more make sure that you have an inquisitive mindset so that you're open to exploring. You're looking for details from a plurality of voices so that, you know, you can get things right. Good stuff. We're, we're talking about building relationships, right? It's all we're talking about. Relationships up and relationships down and across the aisles, you know? <laughs> you got it. <laughs>